Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. God, it feels good to say that. I hope that you have all been well. I'm sorry that this hiatus went so much longer than I anticipated. There's been a lot of real horror in the world in the past six months, and it made it very hard for me to even think about creating horror content. But lately, it has felt like it's the time to get back to it. So here we are. I'm working with Chris Zumsky to finish up the remaining King in Yellow stories we want to tell. It's been a while, so we are both still getting ourselves back into that world, and I hope to start releasing more King in Yellow episodes very soon. Until then, I'm going to continue to do some world building in this odd little alternate earth that we've been creating. So today, I'm playing a really amazing solo role-playing game called We Forest 3 by Jamila R. Nejadi. If you are looking for something spooky to do by yourself this holiday weekend, I really recommend heading over to Jamila's itch, temporalhiccup.itch.io, and picking this game up. It is a really great horror game about a lone hero who walks out into the woods to try to stop the forest from overtaking their city. It's such an amazing game, steeped in Philippine folklore. It is beautiful and terrifying and just so, so good. So a little bit about how it's played to give you an idea of how this episode was created. The game gives you prompts that lead you on your quest to find and stop the Sisters Three, while avoiding their protectors, the Brothers Six. Once you finish a prompt, there are a series of tables that help you figure out what creatures you encounter. When you have an encounter, you have three stats that may be tested. Your bravery, your innocence, and your kindness. You also have three assets. Your map, your light, and your secrets that may be able to help you out if you fail a stat check. There are more tables that tell you the results of your encounter based on how you rolled, As you survive and track down the Sisters 3, you have a resource called Soul Resilience that will go up and down. If it hits zero, you are claimed by the forest. If you manage to find and subdue all three sisters with at least a little bit of Soul Resilience left, you may just save the city. A note on what you're going to be listening to. With Jamila's permission, I am using the prompt text from the game. Based on how my game was unfolding and the story I was telling, I had to make a couple tweaks. But for the most part, it is exactly as it appears in the book. I think once you listen to a little bit, you'll be able to tell which parts are the prompt. If you end up playing, this will be a little bit of a spoiler, but trust me, the story will be very different each time you play. The random tables create so much variability that despite the prompts being the same that you've heard, your story will be its own. So with all of that out of the way, here we go with We Forest 3. My name is Malit. I'm thin and lanky and very short. I'm 15 years old. When I wake up in the morning, I do nothing with my hair, 
so it stands out in wild, bright red licks, like a fire. I enter into the forest near every day and come out with prizes that the sisters have left for me. When I was 13, I used the money my grand gave me for my birthday to buy a pair of beautiful leather boots. I keep them clean and crisp. That same birthday, I found a small gray stone, worn so smooth I could see my chubby cheeks when I looked into it. I tied it to the boots with a bit of string from my papa's butcher shop. See here, other gifts from the forest. Here, a bright red feather from a cardinal. Here, a tiny femur from some creature. Here, a bit of amber shaped like a tendril. When I dream of the forest, the leaves whisper my true name, Nawala. It is the name that I think lives in my bones, trying to get out. In one day, it is what they will call me. I have dreams near to every night about walking out into the forest and never coming back. Lately, the forest has been growing. When you walk down the streets of Madipiho, sometimes I see a tree in the corner of my eye bursting through the pavement, taking over the whole town. Everything lays in ruin, but it's still there. I've decided that it's time. I will find the sisters three and ask for my heart's true wish. I will tell my parents I'm going to ask the woods to stop hurting the town. They don't see the trees like I do, but they know something is wrong. My parents will believe me. I don't know if I will see them again. It's time to go to the forest, and I'm taking three things with me. My boots, which are full of the forest's secrets. A map of the woods I found, drawn in dark amber ink on the hide of a deer. And the old lantern my grandfather gave me. Hopefully this will be enough. As I leave the city, there are lights in the sky, purple and green, that suffuse the streets. A rain, somehow both cold and warm at the same time, falls and makes the cobblestones slick with puddles that reflect the colors of the sky. It is like the green tendrils are kissing the ground, and the purple tendrils are kissing back. The only place the rain does not seem to fall is the graveyard. The amber statues inside are all aghast and seem to be crying out for water but none comes. Hopefully, they too will get what they need once I have found the sisters three. As I approach the forest, it is closed. The trees press so close together that no purchase can be made, no matter how slight the interloper, and I am slight. Sometimes the forest does this. It'll do it for days or weeks on end, and no one can visit the town. But I have dreamed of this moment for years, and I think I know where the forest will open itself to me. I pace the length of the forest wall that faces the town, 
but no matter where I look or how I search, I cannot find the entrance that I dreamed of. I must find a way in, but I know now not to trust the tree dreams I've had before. I think the sisters are testing me. In the depths of the wood, I hear a branch breaking. Not animal sound, but not human sound either. It is something other, something I don't know the category for. I know that I must use my lantern, even if it will telegraph my location. Hopefully it can shed light on the entrance I know is here somewhere. So I pull out my flint and steel and stoke a fire within the lantern's belly, adjusting the eye of the lantern to shed a little light. I swear, in the distance I see a shadow pass by, both man and beast at the same time. This must be one of the brothers' six. As quickly as it appears, it is gone. But I see the path, hidden just beyond a false tree. And I enter. The brothers' six take on strange shapes, forcing the forest to assist in their hunt of you. You hear the first sister screech into the night, the sound of many wings crashing against the sky. It's time to run with the forest, run with its memories, run with the last of the city's heart beating against your ears, drumming, drumming, drumming the way. As I run with the forest ahead, there's a glimmer, a faint amber shimmering, a lost soul carrying a lantern. It couldn't be me, could it, wandering the path? Maybe this lost wanderer can tell me where the first sister lives. Right now, it's my only hope. As I approach, though, a sound from the wood startles the soul. It screams. It's a staticky noise and vanishes. Then I see it. One of the brothers' six. Its form is flickering back and forth between bear and boy. This brother cannot be more than eight years old. The look on its face is one of fear and pain. Amber liquid seeps from his eyes and nose. He looks like a snotty, crying thing. But then suddenly, as a bear again with amber fangs and eyes, he approaches slowly, seemingly as scared of me as I am of he. He opens his mouth, and a mountainous rumble echoes out. The ghosts cannot be trusted. They are trapped and wish to trap others. He reaches out and touches the small, smooth pebble on my boot, and it glows for a moment. The secrets of the wield are what will save you. Avoid the brother's six, yes, but avoid all who wish to take the secrets you hold dear. With that, he's gone, and I must continue. The first sister grows angry, impatient, desperate. 
You sense the forest begins to change in response as her screams fill the trees. They scream in chorus with her, splitting in two. Denizens of the forest struggle desperately to escape her wrath. Those too slow to react find themselves splitting in two. Soul against body, mind against heart, past against the future. As the screams rip around me, a strong wind blows up, and I take a deep breath. I remember the smell of my grandfather's cologne, and let the memory ground me in the past. I think of how one day I will live in the forest and have a small garden and some chickens, and build a longing for the future. This allows me to stay in the present strongly enough to stay whole. That must have been the trap, though. I stood still too long, and I heard the sign of the brothers six all around me. I close the eye of my lantern and run into the underbrush. I make myself as small as I can be, and watch as the shadows move around me, flickering constantly back and forth. Animal, then human, then animal, then human. They smell like people and beasts at the same time. Their steps alternate between gentle and heavy as they move by me, whistling some awful tune. It sounds like the song my mother would sing to me, but all wrong and cattywampus. I cry and wait for them to pass. Eventually, after what may have been minutes or hours or days or forever, they leave, and I continue. You find the cave. It's made of half-forgotten things, abandoned items that were once precious to someone. It all comes together like a faded nightmare. Photographs decaying on the walls. As you walk through the cave, you can hear her singing somewhere in the dark. She's calmer now, as calm as the sky is before the storm breaks and all hell breaks loose. She sings the song your mother used to sing to you, to help you sleep, to help you forget. There's sadness in her song, like when my mother would sing it knowing that one day I would have to grow up and learn that the world is cruel. It moves my heart so close to breaking, I move deeper and deeper into the cave. Cast off bits of her hair are snakes that slink off into the shadows with long, sad, hissing sounds. You see her floating before you, her large bat wings filling the cave with its noise. Whack, 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 whack. Her hair is long and covers her upper body with its tangles. The lower half of her is missing, maybe hidden somewhere deeper in the cave. The first sister is the dread Mananangal. I know in that moment that what Mananangal needs most is love. I spread my arms and make to hug her. For a moment she is furious, 
and looks as though she's ready to dump the whole of her storm upon me. But then her face softens. For a moment, I can see that she is beautiful. She cries, and I hug her. We both cry. I can taste the salt of her. Mananango gently takes my hand and leads me deeper into the cave. The sound of her entrails dragging and flopping on the cave floor is like the sound of sandals on a wet street. She pulls herself along with the clawed hand not holding mine. She continues to sing. Her voice is so much softer now. So much like my mother's. Exactly like my mother's. Finally, we reach the twisted and broken remains of her lower half. She points, and I know what I must do. I reach into my pack and pull out some salt, and begin to sprinkle it over her legs, and there's a smell like burning, and Mananango screams. It's an awful sound, but there's peace in it. Within moments, she is ash, and within the ash, is a small and colicked thing, weeping. I sit and take the babe on my lap and rock it. I sing my mother's song to it, and soon it settles and begins to sleep. You take a moment to gather your thoughts, collect yourself, take a few deep breaths, one and then another, one and then one more, you go through your things, your shaking hands reaching for the familiar. You come across one of three small glass bottles given to you. They each have inscriptions and prayers scratched into the glass by hands long gone from this world. Within the bottle, the fetus-like creature sleeps. The first sister looks so small now. So innocent, white bat-like wings unfurl and fold into itself, yawning as it pushes against the side of the glass bottle. What happens to the first sister? The small creature is dreaming, and what sweet sounds it makes. The colic is fully passed, and it purrs and coos as dreams of finally being free from the forest. It may only be a dream, but it is enough. When I leave the cave, I can tell the forest is lighter. As you move through the forest, you hear the sound of wood whispering against wood, soft voices repeating ancient prayers in Latin, Drift through the trees. A procession. You see them now. The saints of the forest. Their bodies are made of wood. Their sharp noses and pale skins married by rot and trails of rain from long ago. Some of the saints bear no hands, the others no heads. They move jerkily through the undergrowth, chanting prayers that rise through a fever pitch. Who knows what they'll do when they find you? The saints have very strange ideas about what saves a soul like yours. I know that I have something for just this moment. 
something that the forest gave me. Mananangal's song has made my brain soft, so I need to think for a moment, scratching my head and trying to remember, while the creaking bodies of the saints march by. Their scratching sound reminds me of my grandfather's wood shop, the sound the wood made when he would drag his saw across it. I remember sitting there watching him one day, when a cardinal got into the shop and flew around. A blur of color in the dull shop. My grandfather scrambled to get a window open so it could leave. I remember the cardinal's feather tied to my boot, and I fetch it. I walk up to the saint at the front of the procession and hold it up to them in trembling hands. All of the saints stop for a moment to consider me. Their waiting sound like a breeze blowing through a stand of trees. Slowly they circle around me, and I am so scared. The saint before me reaches out. The creaking of their arms sounds so loud. They take the feather, and I hear the faintest sound of wood bending as they smile. The saints begin to embrace me some reaching out with wavering limbs and touching my hair. Others hug me wholly. Their skin is rough like sandpaper, like my grandfather's, and I'm laughing with them. Their oaky laughs like a campfire crackling. Eventually they begin to burn, but it isn't a bad burning. It is a happy fire. They turn to ash and are taken back by the forest. Their long march it's finally over. Last, there's just the leader, holding my feather and laughing that rich wooden laugh. Its eyes glow like will-o'-wisps and it leans down, kisses my forehead like my grandfather used to. As its woody lips leave small splinters in my skin, it too turns to ash and I am covered with a fine coat of cinders. Cinders, they do not burn. They feel like a warm hug. And I am ready to continue. Lights float ahead of you, urging you onward. The Santelmo, lost souls hiding in the forest, guides you through the dark trees. The sound of the market pricks your ears, as vendors shout out prices and insults. Sure enough, you come across it, the forest market. The smell of fresh fish and vegetables greets you. Duende, Dewata, Tikbalang, all manner of creature are here offering their goods. Which one calls out to you? I wind my way through the market stalls. I see the little muffins my uncle would make at his bakery. I loved them the most because they were so tiny I could fit the whole thing in my mouth. My cheeks would puff up and my uncle would call me Little Squirrel. There's a small woman with a long white beard and a long red hat. She is selling items from my bedroom. There's the small figurine carved out of curling tree bark I made when my papa let me keep the pocket knife I found in the woods. There's the wash bucket that normally sits in the corner. 
I know it is the same one, because there is a nick in the lip at the exact same place. Even my patched and piecemeal blankets are folded neatly in the stall. When I ask the little woman, even shorter than me, how she got them, she tells me, I know your heart's wish, child. I know you won't need them no more. I am frightened, but I know that she's not wrong, so I leave it be. Finally, I come to a stall run by a tall horse walking on its hind legs. It towers over me and stares down with friendly eyes, maybe too friendly. Laid out on the counter in their stall, there are little cages made of living bramble. The thorny ropes move, winding around themselves, creating different patterns in their nesting each time you look at them. In the center of each is a small spark of flame that doesn't seem to burn the thorns around it. Each cage is different. The thorns on some are stout, short things. Others are long and elegant like eyelashes. Some are pure, translucent amber, and others are deep red oak. As I let my eyes wander over them, feeling a calm come over me, the tall horse tells me, Each is the heart of a wood saint, freely given to give you courage in the darkest of moments. I ask the horse, what do they cost? I don't think I have anything valuable enough for a heart freely given. They smile and say, We do not take coin or baubles here at the forest market. For the heart of a saint, I simply ask for a happy memory. As I walk along the path leading away from the market, holding the warm bramble cage in my hand, feeling its bravery spread through me like a warm bath after a cold day. I think back to that day the cardinal flew into my grandfather's woodshop, and my grandfather's face is a smooth patch of skin, the features completely gone. A young girl and an older woman stand in a clearing. The forest casts shadows on their features, the moonlight cascading down their skin. The moonlight cascading down their dark skin and darker hair. There is a soft humming sound, and you realize the young girl is surrounded by bees. Her hair and simple dress move like she is underwater. She is holding out an impatient hand towards the woman. The woman holds a winged sword in her hand. She shakes her head. No. They both turn to look at you. The woman points the sword at you. What do they demand? As I stand at the edge of the clearing, looking at the old woman and the young girl, the static of bees drowning out all other sound, the old woman pulls back her hand as if to strike with the sword, but instead she throws it. The wings buzz and crackle as the sword flies unerringly towards me. It is all too sudden for me to react, 
But in that moment, the cage of brambles, the saint's heart flies from my hand and winds its way around the hilt of the sword, binding the wings tight to the body. The sword tumbles from the air at my feet, and I pick it up. The loud static of the bees dies down, and in a lone, tired voice, the woman and the girl say, It is done, finally. I look down to the sword in my hand and back up to the couple in the clearing, but they are gone, and I am alone again, and I continue on. As you move deeper into the forest, you can hear fire crackling in the distance. The wind carries the smell of burning flesh. You look around you and the trees begin to smoke. The leaves turning to ash. As the bark curls and turns black, it reveals writhing flesh underneath. In the distance, the brothers six howl. They're coming, and they come with fire. As everything around me begins to burn, I weep and clutch tight the sword I was given. I, I, I don't know how to use it, but there is some comfort in holding it. As I crumble in on myself, I remember a story my papa used to tell. It was a story about the Santelmo. How most of them led visitors of the forest astray. But how sometimes when the soul is pure, it creates a protector, one who saves those in need. Between my sobs, I cry out and hope that perhaps pure St. Elmo will come to me. I pray and pray, but there is no answer, only the crackle of the flame, its awful laughter. I look up and I see one of the brothers six. This one was a woman, but is now an elk. Her form flickers back and forth between a red-haired woman with dead eyes staring blankly into the woods and that of a tall and noble elk with amber antlers and human eyes. The form flickers as fast as the flames around me. I think the woman sees me, but her blank eyes do not reveal their secrets. The elk continues to sniff at the air and stamp its foot against the charred ground. I remember my map, and how sometimes it shifts to show me secrets in the woods. I pull it out and look, and the thin amber lines are shifting and rewriting themselves, some growing shorter, some longer, and I see the image of a small cave mouth appear nearby and I begin to make my way to the yawning maw of the cave. As I was folding the map, a bit of ash, still hot with flame, floated down and landed on the map. There came the strongest smell of burning flesh as holes began to form along the upper right quadrant of the map. I was able to stop the flames from spreading to the rest of it but so many of its secrets are now lost. The brothers slink away. 
satisfied with the terror they have wrought. The fire dies down slowly. In the distance you hear the sound of something slapping against stone, a loud honking careening into the night. You make your way through the forest and find a road stretching and winding between the dark trees. Who comes to pick you up? I break through the canopy of the trees and escape the last of the smoke from the brother's fire. I see a long, smooth road stretching from east to west across the forest. As I gain my bearings, I see what looks like a long wagon moving at wild speed. It is unlike anything I have ever seen before. It glints in the moonlight and makes loud sputtering noises like some sort of metal dragon. It stops a few paces from me, and a door in the side of the wagon opens to reveal the driver. The driver is a woman with long gnarled limbs and hair that looks like it is made of vines and leaves. Her face has the deep creases of age and bark, and trembling on her lips is a long hand-rolled cigar, and a voice that is deep and sounds like the cracking of branches she asks me, Got any spare change? I dig through my pockets and find a few coins in there, handing them over. Somehow I know I won't need them anymore. She nods and leans down, her long torso creaking and groaning as she does. She kisses my cheek, and everything feels calm for a moment. And then she is gone. There's a long, lonely road ahead. It stretches on and on and on. On either side of the road... Ghostly white ballet trees reach outwards to the night sky, the very edges of their branches kissed by the bloodiest colors. The fog comes in, flooding the road and the trees. Another of those strange carts moves towards you. Black checkered line winding around the yellow body, wheels whispering secrets across the gravel. A light on the top turns on, the word taxi written on it, and the ghostly remains of a man beckons to you, urging you to come closer. When you get in the back seat, the road starts to melt away. There are only the bullet trees reaching out with warning fingers. Suddenly, the second sister is sitting next to you, the white lady of Ballot Drive. Her eyes burn and burn and burn. White hot. The white lady of Ballot Drive opens her mouth as if to speak. But I take her hand, and she is quiet for a moment. We sit there, looking at the trees whipping past the window, the branches beating little staccato rhythms on the roof as we drive wildly through the forest. I can tell that the white lady wants false promises, that everything will be okay, 
that the forest will always remain, that the city will not invade, that she is beautiful. The way her skin trembles against mine, I can tell she wants these things, but I've never been fluent in lies. So we are silent, and she is sad, and she is angry. Out of the darkness of the trees comes another vehicle like the one we are in. This one is slick black, so black it seems to absorb the light around it. In its driver's seat is a man that is both man and snake. One moment he is a gaunt man with blonde hair so light it almost seems white and no eyes. Completely empty sockets. Then he is an albino snake, pure white with human eyes. His tongue in both forms is forked and works against his teeth. It is the only constant as he flickers back and forth between man and snake, man and snake, man and snake. I try to think quickly. My head is swirling as I look into the not eyes, then the human ones of the brother driving the car. They're making me sleepy. So sleepy. I just want to be in my own bed and sleep. I know the sister beside me wants lies, but I don't know lies. I do, though, know secrets. And I lean over and sleepily whisper them in her ears. First, I tell her about the trees I see in the town that no one else sees. The spectral ones that burst through the pavement. I tell her that the town will probably take over the forest, but only for a time. The forest will come back. I tell her about the time my papa was drunk and told me that during the war he cheated on my mother. About the gun my uncle keeps with its shiny silver smile, wrapped in oilcloth under his side of the bed. Each secret I tell turns into a snake as soon as it leaves my mouth and slithers up the sister's skin and into her ears. I tell her she will meet someone that finds her beautiful. This all seems to please her at least a little bit. With shaky legs, you climb out of the taxi cab. The door slams shut behind you, loud, too loud, and it echoes through the forest. The ballot trees uproot themselves and slowly walk away, fading into the forest. The taxi drives off, leaving you behind. You look down, and in your hands is the second-class bottle. The inscription on this one is a prayer asking for God and all his saints and angels to light the path home. Inside, the second sister breathes against the glass, creating fog and ice crystals within. She looks at you with heavy-lidded eyes, the fire almost gone. Almost. What happens to the second sister. I look down at the vial in my hand. 
that is freezing and hot at the same time. The second sister is small inside, maybe even smaller than the first. Though she does not cry. She is angry. So angry. She glares through the scratched glass and smiles a wicked smile. I feel her power pushing against the glass. The glass seems to bend and pulse, wanting so badly to break. But the words inscribed in the glass seem to keep her power at bay. Despite the frost climbing up the sides of the vial, the white lady's eyes are the blaze of a forest fire, cruel and menacing. I do not know how long these prayers will keep her in the bottle. I must find the third sister and put an end to this. This part of the forest is full of banana trees, stretching higher than normal. The wide leaves whisper in the darkness. In the darkest shadows float the light of a large cigar. The cigar is easily the size of a grown child. A creature of long hair and longer limbs slowly steps into the soft light, standing taller than any of the trees. Gripping the cigar between their teeth, they reach out and break off a banana, offering it to you. As you watch, they peel it, but the skin of it looks raw, bleeding. A collection of fingers reveals itself, hidden within the fruit. Will you take this gift from the capre? This capre is a test from the third sister. I know it. The grotesque thing it is showing me is false. My sister knows I am coming and she wants to make sure I am worthy. The waggling fingers in the banana are such a simple trick of the eye. But the sister wants fear, and I will give it to her. I gasp and make my eyes as big as I can, feigning fear in the face of this trick. In my mind, I am a calm lake. No ripples break my service, but my face is a perfect mask of terror, and the copperhead drinks it in, smiles a cracking smile and waves the banana at me, moving it closer. I see something in the corner of my eye. It is made of dancing leaves, leaves that hug each other tightly as they shift about, as in some self-contained little tornado. I remember my grand's tales of the Dewata, mischievous but friendly forest spirits. It is moving closer, and in a flash it has danced to the Capre's shoulder, and then across its face and reaches out flicking the Capre's nose. It makes a silly springy sound, and the creature seems angry. These spirits are so mean! She says in a voice that crackles and pops like leaves thrown on a fire. The capre tosses the banana to the ground, where it breaks into a host of grubs that slither away. You did not believe they were real anyway, she continues before leaning down. Her breath is a spring breeze that carries the scent of dying leaves on it. Once she is so close that no one else could possibly hear, 
She whispers secrets into my ear. Things that I need to know to meet the third sister. Things I should know about myself. They fill me up with such hope and such dread. I know it is time to find my final sister. You press on. The air is humid. Sweat runs down your face. Your feet become heavier and drag. You look down and puddles are forming at your feet. Thunder tears through the sky above, and a sudden downpour of rain freezes your bones. The water rises. You take one last gulp of air. The water rushes around you and now, in the distance, a glimmering palace. The Sirena, the mermaids are waiting. What do they ask of you? The Sirena surround me and take deep gulps of water and blow bubbles out towards me, creating a bubble around me full of fresh air. They take my stagecoach of breath and lead me to the palace. There's a feast set out on a long table made of coral. The queen of the Sirena sits at the head of the table. He is so beautiful. The type of beautiful that everyone sees. It isn't necessarily his face, which is pleasing enough, admittedly. But it is the very nature of his character that is beautiful. I know that when I am older, I hope for that type of beauty. It is a vain hope, but I want it more than I realized. As we eat and make small talk, more Sirena come in and sit with us. Finally, the queen says, Tell me one last story. One last story of your city. I tell him about the statues in the graveyard, how lifelike they are, how my grandmother is one of them. I watched them bury her in the ground, and I tell him about that one day I walked by the cemetery and found the statue of her, like it had grown up overnight, how it looked so much like her. Then I tell him one of the things I should not know. I tell him about how years from now the city will overtake the forest. The forest will be cut down for lumber, to build more buildings, how some of those buildings will tower higher than any tree of the forest ever could. I tell him how for a moment all will seem lost. But it is only a moment. In the grand design of eternity, just a moment. I tell him that when I see that grand city in my dreams, swollen and laboring for every breath, I also see the trees bursting forth. And how I see a forest full of amber statues decorating it. The water recedes. You cough out the last of the ocean's water from your lungs. You heave yourself up, continuing your journey. 
Aren't you tired? You look around. You are surrounded by dozens of black chicks, their feathers shining in the dark. You see dirty, almost human feet in front of you, toenails long and cracked. They bend down, balancing themselves on the balls of their feet. They have a wide mouth and many sharp teeth. They smell of blood. The Aswang picks up a black chick and offers it to you. For you, my love. I know this story, too. My papa told me once that he met an Aswang in the woods when he was a child, and it first had the appearance of my mother. They had not met yet, but he had seen her in town. When he got close, the creature began to change. He watched as my mother's proportions grew and changed. Her skin seemed to rip apart and fall to the ground like leaves. Finally, it was a tall and shadowed thing, dripping with blood. Its fangs were long and sharp, a mouth full of too many snake teeth. He ran and could not sleep for months. The first time my mother talked to him, he screamed and ran away. I did not sleep much after he told me that story either. The Aswang sees my hesitation. Is this the same one my father met? With a quickness that seemed impossible, it grabs me and starts to pull me closer. The charming smile turning to too many teeth and a growl issuing forth from its widening mouth. I shut my eyes so tight and start to pray the prayer that Father Almonte taught me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As I pray, I feel my body changing. I'm too scared to open my eyes and look. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It feels a bit like puberty, but even more wrong. My body is rippling and growing and changing in ways that make me feel like I am not home in my skin. But I keep praying. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. I keep saying the words. I don't know if I believe them anymore, but there is still comfort in them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It feels like the changing has stopped, and I don't feel the Aswang's hand on me anymore. And when I dare to open one eye, just a little bit, I see that the Aswang is laughing and has one of its large clawed hands covering its mouth. When it sees me looking, it reaches out that hand and brushes my cheek, saying, Oh, listen closely, my love. And it is gone. You're almost there. You know you can't confront the third sister with the brother six hunting you. It's time. 
Now you hunt them. I do not even begin to know how to hunt the brothers. My brothers. I know they are cruel and full of hatred. But I know it is because the forest is dying. I do not want to hurt them. But I know that I cannot meet my final sister until they no longer hunt me. There's a loud crackling around me and a gust of wind, and I know that, just by thinking about them, I have summoned them, and I know that I am not ready. The woman who is also an elk is there, the man who turns into a snake, and the boy who turns into a bear. There's also a very old woman who turns into a rabbit, and a burly man who turns into an otter. And someone who looks just like me, small and spindly in all limbs, who turns into a different animal every time, like they don't know what they are quite yet. The six of them are in a circle around me, and they are eyeless humans one moment, then animals with human eyes the next. Eyeless human, the knowing animal, eyeless human, then fearsome beast. They shift on and on and on. Soon their shifting picks up speed, so it is almost impossible to focus on one state. Instead, they are a blur of human and animal, eyeless and all-knowing. The wind, too, increases, and before I know it, my map and lantern are ripped from my hands. The deerskin map is torn to bits before my eyes, and the lantern's flame sputters furiously in the wind before going out. And then I hear it smash against a rock and break, even though there is no more light to see it. The wind increases, and I feel small stones and branches whip against my face and arms, drawing forth blood. I fear if the wind grows any stronger, my skin might be ripped from my bones. I cannot see them shifting anymore, now that my lantern is gone. But I can hear it. It sounds like all of the bones in the body breaking and reforming, breaking and reforming, over and over again. The wind picks up, but my skin holds, and I fold in on myself, weeping as my brothers get closer, and the wind grows stronger, and more blood is drawn out by the debris. The sound of bones breaking, getting louder and louder, until I'm certain it is my bones that are breaking. The last thing I have are the secrets I know, and I begin to whisper them, then speak them, then yell them into the wind around me. Each one is plucked out of my mouth and lost forever. My grandfather's smell, the way the wrinkles on my grandmother's face were captured so perfectly in the statue in the cemetery, the way my papa would tell me stories of all the creatures of the wood, how my mother baked my favorite cake every year on my birthday, all gone, all spit into the wind and taken by the woods. But as I yelled all my secrets to the howling gusts, they became quieter. And eventually I was alone in the woods again. I cannot remember much now, but I know I still must find my sister, because my brothers have what they want.
You are tired. So very tired. Exhausted to the very depths of your soul. No more you wish to scream. Enough. But you are one of them. You have a right to be here. A right to sit amongst your family in the woods forever. What else are you to do? You choke back a sob and another. You wipe away the tears. You breathe and breathe again, a scream threatening to burst forth from you. Is this what our great family has been reduced to? You? Is that all you have to offer the forest? Ha! <sighs> the voice echoes in your mind and your heart calms. You remember who you are now. You are the fourth sister. Come as you are. All noise in the forest dies. In the sword-sharp silence, the trees turn into the darkest glass. The city's heart rises and buildings thrust up from the soil. Reaching, reaching to the sky. Tonight, the city dies or the city is reborn. It is up to you. All of my many pasts come flooding into me. I see every time I was born. Feel myself enter the world anew, over and over. I see every time I have ventured into these woods seeking my true home. I see every time I was thwarted by my sisters, made to forget. I see every time I was slaughtered by my brothers, torn to pieces and buried in these woods. I feel the searing pain of death and betrayal rip through me again and again. There are so many cities, so many forests. Each one a little different, but the same. I see myself as so many different beings. Sometimes tall, fat men. Sometimes stooped old women. Often, I am something in between. Always, at some point, I remember my sisters three and my brothers six. And find myself on the edge of a dark wood with a deer skin map, an old dented lantern, and a lifetime of secrets. Every time I find a way in, and every time I am thwarted. Not this time. Not this time, sisters. I have made it farther than ever before, and my sisters will know my name. As I remember all of my pasts, the city shows me all of its futures. I see my parents growing older and dying. I see their amber statues in our front yard. I see the city swell and grow and then shrink and die. I see the futures of a hundred other forests until I see the entire earth swallowed up in trees full of amber statues. I see fire and famine rage, 
I see the death of every soul in the forest growing fat on their bodies. I know in these glimpses that I am the only one who can keep balance. As I push through the brambles and bush, I find my map and my lantern waiting for me. I hear the trees whispering the secrets I gave it. And I press on. The heart of the city strains and pulls against your own, demanding freedom, demanding worship, demanding sustenance. You break away from the entanglements of desire, pushing past the dark glass and kaleidoscope dreams of the city and all who live in it. I had a different name once. The city fades for a moment, flickering in a static. A mountain rises, crushing the heart of the city. The mountain overwhelms you, demanding to be seen, demanding to be remembered, demanding to remake the past. They call me, all of me, Every version of me, they call me Maria. Can you imagine how dare they, the weak-blooded monsters from across the sea? They desecrated my body with their churches, tore apart my people, and cut out the tongues of those who remembered my name. It's been so long. I don't remember my name anymore. I only remember that the Pale Ones took it from me, took away most of my power, until all I had left was a memory of what we once had. This land, our people, and me. I will take this city and consume it. I'll take back what they stole from me. The mountain rises and rises and rises. The third sister spreads her arms wide enough and tall enough to fill the entire world. The mountain sings and you are forced to sing along with it. Your body is small. So small. Can it sing for a city fighting for its survival? I sing and sing, my voice growing louder and so much bigger than myself. I sing every hymn Father Almonte taught us in church. When I run out of hymns, I sing every song my grand and mother used to sing to me. The songs I heard my grandfather sing in the shop. The songs I heard my papa sing while he cooked breakfast. When even those run out, I sing nonsense words like a child who has not yet learned language, but knows the tune that lives under our many skins. I become so loud that I hear Maria's song begin to fade beneath the power of my voice. Mountains crumble at my power. Trees crack and cities fall. I am ancient, and I 
and powerful. The forest once called me Nawala, lost. But now it will call me Nata, for I am found. I am all-encompassing. My palms cover continents. I am the forest and the water. I am the mountain, and I am the city. I am everything, and my song will be heard. After an eternity of silence, I find myself outside a small cottage deep in the woods, at the very heart, and I am sowing seeds and feeding the chickens in the pen. I gather some beans to take inside to cook for dinner. I think I am older now, or maybe younger. I don't know. Perhaps I am ageless. I am simply Nata here. I open the door to the cottage and hear the cooing of babes as I set the basket of beans on the counter and get some milk from the icebox. I pour the milk into one of the old bottles with a prayer etched in the glass and take it to my three young sisters, still in their cribs crying out for food. They are growing more and more each day, and one day they will be big enough to help me tend the garden, feed the chickens, hunt for meat, and hold the city at bay. Each time a tree is cut down, I feel it like a stabbing pain in my insides. When I go out to hunt, it seems the forest grows smaller every day, the city larger. But every so often I find an amber statue in the woods, and remember that one day we will have this land back. It is theirs for only a short time. It will be ours forever. Thank you to Jamila R. Najati for such a beautiful game and for allowing me to use the prompt text in this podcast. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to play We Forest 3 this Halloween weekend or any weekend or any night, head on over to temporalhiccup.itch.io and pick a copy up today. If you have questions, comments, want to be a guest on the show, recommend a game, or just want to say hi, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter, at notalone underscore har, or email me at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting me use it. Join us again on Friday, November 13th for our next episode. Until then, remember that you are strong, you are beautiful, and you are not alone. <laughs>